0: Hello, and welcome to the So What Podcast, where we discuss theological and philosophical issues to ask the obvious question, so what? I'm your host, Kyle Bashirs, and I'm joined by our cast of contributors, Matt O'Reilly and Travis Buchanan. Well, as always, we'd like to thank you for listening to the So What Podcast and for sharing it with your friends. If you enjoy the show, please help our podcast grow by rating and reviewing it in iTunes. You can find out more information about the show and its contributors at sowhatpodcast.com Questions about this and any future episode can be submitted by emailing hello at so You can keep up with the latest news by following us on Twitter at so what underscore podcast or by liking our Facebook page. Just search for the So What Podcast. So I think two of the most widely known yet misunderstood and misused biblical verses are Philippians 4.13 and Matthew 7.1. Philippians 4.13 is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And Matthew 7.1 is, judge not that you not be judged, or as it's more commonly known as, judge not lest ye be judged. The former, you see, In greeting cards plastered on the side of football helmets and on the lips of well-intentioned people who are trying to encourage either them or themselves through some kind of situation that they would see triumph over it. The latter in Matthew 7 is most known, it seems, outside the church to be used by chastising believers for questioning or objecting to moral behavior. But, of course, it's also used within the church to discourage believers from reproofing or rebuking other believers found to be in sin. So, gents, I thought it would be good today. Let's talk about these two widely known yet misunderstood verses by starting off with Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How do you see this verse used in everyday life?
1: Well, I've seen it written on the faces of professional and collegiate athletes, as they sought to score touchdowns and hit home runs and things like that.
0: You mean it doesn't have anything to do with athletics or?
1: It must
2: because it's universally applied in that way. Yeah, I was going to say that the most dominant context I see it in is the athletic context being written on sneakers
1: or eye black or what have you.
0: Because the situation is whatever game they're playing and their opponents and the triumph is.
1: Right. Tim Tebow needs Philippians to beat whoever he's playing.
0: But you're saying that in sarcasm.
1: Does it sound that way?
0: (laughs) It even comes across
2: without seeing your face. Most athletics require strength. Strength is a word in the verse. God is seen as a supernatural, overabundant source of strength. And so if I can tap into that, then I can best my opponent or run faster, jump higher, knock him down, do whatever I need to do to accomplish my athletic goals. So it becomes a supernatural, semi-miraculous means to the end of achieving my athletic goals or indulging my ego to be the, right. the best or greatest player on the field.
0: It can't just be for sports analogies though, right? Because I, I've seen this on greeting cards as well. So Travis, the point you're bringing up, with strength as a physical thing, but it's also an emotional strength as well. People are latching to Philippians, saying that there's a situation that they might not believe they can get through. It's too daunting: a breakup of a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or worse, uh, splitting up of a marriage, or loss of employment or a job. Or some any. of those
1: instances might actually be closer to what's actually going on there, though. Too right. Yeah. So why is I'm that? Not as sarcastic about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Why is that? <laughs> Well, because Philippians is about persevering through persecution Mm. and disunity in the church. So Philippians, for Paul, taking the whole letter, because anytime, and I think this is kind of where we're going with this, anytime you want to talk about how Bible passages are used, the immediate context is the most important determinative for what the author means in any specific location. So if we want to understand Philippians 4, we need to understand it in light of the overall argument of Philippians as a whole. And Philippians is about Paul's call to a group of believers in the first century, middle of the first century, to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. It says mm-hmm. that in Philippians 1.27, that's kind of the hub of the letter and everything else spokes out from that one central, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. So what does the gospel worthy life look like? He fleshes that out by applying it to their context where they appear to be undergoing some sort of persecution. In 128, he talks about their opponents and how important it is for them to stand firm in unity. And it looks like they are also dealing with some challenges to the unity of their local congregation because in chapter 4, he specifically calls out two female leaders in the congregation and tells them to be reconciled and calls upon someone else to help them get reconciled. So there are kind of two problems that are distinct but related. They're getting some sort of pressure from the outside. We're not sure what that looks like. Maybe it's some kind of social ostracism. could be all sorts of things. But they're getting some sort of pressure from opponents from outside the congregation. And you can imagine what that's like when you're starting to feel the pain of your social context pushing against what you're doing. Well, it's easy to say, well, if Kyle hadn't done such and such, you know, and then all of a sudden we are fostering division in the congregation. So those two things impinge on one another, even though they're distinct. So Paul takes those two issues and he wants to help the Philippians cultivate concord and stand firm against persecution. Some of the ways he does that is by pointing to the story of Christ, right? In chapter two, the famous, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, Being born in human likeness, found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here's one who suffers persecution, right? And Paul says, that's the kind of mind, the attitude, disposition that you need to have characterizing your common life. Paul talks about his own experience. He's in prison as he writes this. And don't get stressed out over that. The gospel hasn't been hindered. This is all in chapter one. I've... Found out that there are some prison guards who need to get evangelized and the Lord is at work and there are good things happening. So, and even if I get my head chopped off, I don't want to dishonor Jesus. I want to honor Jesus. So he's talking about all these instances of really intense potential martyrdom at most and persecution at least. And he's encouraging the Philippians and calling upon them to stand firm in that kind of context. So when you get to the end of the letter and Paul says, I've learned to be content in every situation, and I'm grateful for your gift, you know, he's kind of pulling all these kinds of things together. At that point, when he says, I can do all things through the one who gives me strength, the one is the one who was persecuted and obedient unto death on the cross. Mm -hmm. He's talking about, I can persevere in the face of persecution to the end because I belong to the one who is obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Yeah. So that's why I'm more comfortable if someone is dealing with a really intense emotional struggle, a really serious crisis of faith, you know, a significant challenge in their life, I'm more comfortable locating that within what's happening, even if it's not exactly analogous to what Paul is experiencing. The suffering that the Philippians are dealing with isn't the same as Paul's suffering. They're not in prison. Right. Right. right? So he's using his suffering as a model for them. So, but one thing it manifestly does not have anything to do with is earning $10 million by running a piece of leather up and down a field. That's not in view here. Right. At all. I
2: appreciate everything you're saying, Matt. There's an important interpretive rule, which is read verses in context. And so obviously something is pulled out of context if it's, Printed on a shoe or a piece of eye black, you know, it's one piece from a larger hole that's been drawn out. So, just generally, when interpreting the Bible, verses need to be read in the context of paragraphs, in the context of books, in the context of the testament, in the context of the canon, and you sort of work outwardly from there. And so, it's helpful to understand well, this is a verse taken from a letter that Paul wrote while in prison to a specific community with certain struggles. And so, the things he is saying are going to flow from that context and should be interpreted in a way that does not do violence to that context. And I think the interpretive key in the immediate context comes in verse 11 when he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, you know, whether he's brought low or abounding in every circumstance, he's learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So analogically, a more appropriate athletic application of that would be for a football player who happened to be. Wrongfully accused of and convicted of rape, and kicked off the team and imprisoned to be facing unjust circumstances, and then say, I'm drawing on the supernatural strength found through my relationship with Christ to be content in this situation, even though I'm, you know, seeking to fight it in court or seeking to live my life justly. And I trust that one day I'm going to be vindicated by God, whether in this life or the next. And I don't have to be completely discouraged or despairing of my circumstances because there is something about my connection to God in Christ, my life being hid with God in Christ, that is a source of strength that allows me to put even the worst conceivable earthly circumstances in a more eternal perspective and then to act justly or appropriately in light of those truths. So that would be an application of Philippians 4.13 in an athletic context. Or even, you know, if you had a less severe analogy, you know, that player who doesn't play and whose team is getting blown out, can he still have a sense of contentment knowing he's giving his best effort working unto the Lord, not for a coach or other people primarily, and that his self-worth isn't found in what the scoreboard displays or his statistical line, but in these more intangible aspects of character are ultimately derived from his relationship to God. Yeah, that's right.
0: I think aside from just reading it out of context, there's a danger too to you personally because in the sports analogy where we're commonly seeing it used, if you can imagine, if Paul was able to italicize a word in this sentence, I imagine it would be the word him, through him who strengthens me. And yet with the sports kind of appropriation of this or wherever else we see it, the I is italicized. I can do Uh, all things through him who strengthens me. But what happens when you fail and you are relying on this to happen? Does that mean God is powerless? What happens when you can't do whatever you you thought you were going to do? And I think that goes to show that this verse within context is keeping in line with what God has always done from the beginning, and that is, keep his people through times of hardship Mm -hmm. and emphasizing the him, Christ's strength rather than the I is the appropriate use for this. And it is extremely valuable to the believer.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And you see that in Paul's own example with his imprisonment, right? He's not there because he failed somehow. Mm -hmm. He's there because he's faithful. Right. Actually. But given the fact that he's depending on the one who gives him strength. He's seeing opportunity where other folks would see, you know, have a pity party or something. Mm-hmm. You know, the gospel is working its way into the emperor's own household. <laughs>